0: It's a meditation, and uh, we're called to meditate on it. And so it says in verse 1, it says, Hear this, all peoples, give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, uh, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom, and the meditation of my heart shall give understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will disclose my dark saying On the harp, why should I fear in the days of evil when the iniquity at my heels surround me? Those who trust in their wealth and boast in in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their souls is costly and it shall cease forever that He should continue to live eternally and not see the pit. For He sees wise men die, likewise the fool and the senseless person perishes, and leave their wealth to others. Their inner thought is that their houses will last forever. and their dwelling places to all generations, they call to their lands after their own names. Nevertheless, man, though in honor, does not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. This is the way of those who are foolish and their posterity who approve their saying, Selah. Like sheep they are laid in the grave. Death shall feed on them. The upright shall have dominion over them in the morning. And their beauty shall be consumed in the grave far from their dwelling. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, he shall receive me, Selah. Verse 16, do not be afraid. And, and the, there's a, the, that word can be interchanged in some other translations with the word envy. Do not be envious or, or fearful or afraid. When one becomes rich, don't be envious when one becomes rich. When the glory of his house is increased. For when he dies, he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him, though while he lives he blesses himself, for men will praise you when you do well for yourself. Verse 19, he shall go to the generation of his fathers. They shall never see light. A man, again, tying off of verse twelve, connecting verse here. A man who is honored does not yet a man who is on honor yet does not understand is like the beast that perish. Let's pray. Father, clearly we're called to a place of understanding this morning. And Lord, there's wisdom here found in this psalm. Lord, there's very um, basic biblical truths being conveyed to us. Lord, truths I'm sure that all of us we know of, Lord, but um, are are good to have as reminders for us again this morning uh, to be challenged, to uh, consider um lord um and and i think that's important because lord it's very easy in the world that we live in today father just a confession to to um move slightly off the path and even a slight movement off the path lord can cause us to miss the mark um and lots of times father we don't even know how far uh we detour from your way um when it's so gradual and so so slight and so lord i pray you would have your uh, will with us this morning Lord, that you would be teaching us and we would um, glean um, from your word this morning and just to remember who we are in you and the life that you've called us to live and Lord, to see the things that you um, see as important. Um, Lord, help us to trust in you in these ways this morning. Um, We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, In Matthew, I want to read from Matthew this morning to begin with Matthew chapter 19. Familiar passage of scripture, right? Matthew 19, verses 23 through 25 is Jesus speaking to his disciples. And um, Jesus has had uh, a conversation um, with, uh, well, I don't want to give too much away yet. But it says this It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, He said, I tell you the truth. It is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, Jesus is going to expound on that here. He says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And it says, when His disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. They marveled. They were were in some kind of awe over what Jesus said. And they they were moved to ask this question. It says, they asked, who then can be saved? If a rich man cannot be saved, who then can be saved. That's the thinking that they were at in light of what Jesus was speaking. And I wanted to read this passage from Matthew before we started making our way through Psalm 49 this morning because I think it helps us to understand something that we're not familiar as familiar to culturally speaking as, as Americans in the in regards to the Hebrew way of thinking, the Hebrew culture. And and what, what Matthew reveals to us, especially or that, that passage in Matthew, especially the disciples' response to what Jesus said, it reveals to us or it helps us understand that the what the Hebrew people thought about rich people uh, in regards to their relationship or their standing before God. And I think we can also succumb to this kind of thinking Um, even though we know it to not be true. But when Jesus spoke to his disciples, saying that it was difficult for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God, we're told that they were astonished to hear this because they were thinking that if a rich man has very slim chance, and when you think about the analogy that Jesus gave, we could even conclude that maybe even no chance um, of going to heaven, um, then they were thinking then it it must be impossible for everyone else for anyone else. And the reason for why the disciples were coming to this conclusion was due to the fact that the Hebrew people had come to equate wealth or, or great possessions as a sign of God's favor, as a sign of God's blessing. If you had land, if you had children, if you had material blessings, it wasn't just material, but if this, the blessings in general, then that was a sign that, that you were in good standing with God. And, 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 and there was some logical conclusions to this because when God established the Mosaic Covenant, when God gave his people the law to them, he said, right, he said there are blessings for keeping his commands and there are curses for disobeying his commands. And, and likewise, the Hebrew people had been, had been um, told that dwelling in the promised land, the land of Blessing that their 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 um the privilege of dwelling there was conditional. Remember, God had said that to them that 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 it was conditional upon the nation's obedience to also keep His commands and and worship Him specifically alone, and we know that. As long as the children of Israel obeyed the Lord's commands and worshipped him, they were allowed to remain in the land and reap the blessings of the land. And and yet we know historically that when they failed to do so, that God took them out. That they were taken um, as uh, prisoners by uh, other nations around them. And so on a national level, think about this with that being a foundation, On a national level, the idea of wealth and possessions was connected to God's favor. It was connected to God's blessings. And so it reasons to conclude, or a reason to conclude that if a person was blessed with possessions, if they were blessed with wealth, then, then they must be keeping God's commands, right? They must have favor with God. And even though Jesus never spoke in a contrary way, to this thought process, he did challenge that assumption that prosperity was an evidence of God's favor or that a person was godly or that a person was righteous in a right standing with God or worthy to enter into the kingdom of God. And we know that Jesus did this to once again point out, and we look at the context of where Jesus was going in the book of Matthew, we know that Jesus was putting this forth um, to point out, really that the only door any person could go through in order to find true favor with God, true righteousness with God, to be accepted into His kingdom was by the door of faith, right? That's what Jesus was pointing to. It was by the door of faith and faith in Him and not by any works of their own. And if we take this Jewish mindset now towards prosperity and apply it to this psalm, We see how the psalmist, like Jesus, was expounding on how foolish it is for a person, any person who has wealth, to then rely on their riches in order to save their soul from the grave, right? That's a foolish thing to do. But because verse 1 tells us that all the inhabitants of the world, if you look here, the important people and the nobodies, the rich and the poor, because they're all called to give ear to this message... We need to see that the broader message that's being declared here as it reads in verse, verse, verse 15, if you look there, is a call to gain understanding. The broader message is to anyone, not just the Hebrew people, but to all, to be able to gain understanding and realize that this, that only God can redeem our soul. That only God has the power over the grave. Only God has power over the grave. In other words, is there, is there any other than God that we we turn to? Is there anything other than God that we turn to today in order to give us um, thoughts or feelings of security in this temporal life, or more importantly, some kind of thought or security or feeling of security for the eternal life to come? That's the challenge. That's what we're trying to understand. And so if we look back to the first five verses, the psalmist writes, and he says, hear this again, all peoples, right? Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, the the low, the high, the important people, the nobody people, those who are rich, those who are poor together, all alike, come. And he says, my mouth is going to speak to you wisdom. And the meditation of my heart shall give an understanding. And I will incline my ear to a proverb. And here's the unique thing. Here it says, I will disclose my dark saying on the harp. And we might think, oh no, this is like a dark thing. But he's he's trying to reveal a truth is what he's saying. And so he says this, again, why should I fear in the days of evil when the iniquity at my heels surround me? And then there's this question mark there. But I think the question continues on through verse 6. And I'll get to that a little bit later. I think the, the King James Version misplaces the punctuation there in other translations moves it down a little bit. That's just kind of a a subtlety there. But nevertheless, the question is asked. And so in these first two verses, we're told that this is a message that is addressed to all the inhabitants of the world, right? And then in verse 3, we're told that the purpose of the message, as we already kind of alluded to, is to give understanding. The purpose is to give understanding. And then in verse 4, the message is identified as a as a proverb and as a dark saying. And this might seem a little confusing, but what we're simply being told is that this is a message of wisdom. And, and when we consider wisdom, especially like when we read the writings of Solomon in the book of Proverbs, wisdom is knowledge rightly applied. You've heard me say this before. You, you, people, people can know a lot of things, but to, to rightly apply that in, in, in a practical setting does not equate to wisdom. Knowledge does not equate to wisdom. Knowledge rightly applied is wisdom. And that's what we're, we're being called to. So when it says that this is a message of wisdom, or that this message of wisdom is disclosed as a dark saying, what we're being told is that it's going to require us to think about what it is saying to us. To ponder it. To meditate on it. To consider it. To take it in. Is causing us or it's calling us to meditate on the words of truth in order to gain an understanding, in order to be able to rightly apply this knowledge to our lives. You know, we don't want to be like what this says like James warns us, you know, we don't want to always be learning, but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. We want to be able to be hearers and doers to take what this says to us gaining the knowledge and then looking at how to apply it to our everyday life, so that that we become wise so that wisdom is manifested in fact as we consider this the hebrew word translated in this phrase here dark saying it's a single hebrew word It's the word high and it also translates as the word to the to the word riddle it's, it's a similar thing and um which is defined as a riddle is defined as a question posed as a problem to be solved. So there's a question that's being posed as a problem that is to be solved. That's common to all people those who are rich, those who are poor, those who are important, and those who are, who are, who are not so important, at least in the world standing. And with all good riddles, one must concentrate, right? You have to think. You have to think about what's being asked in order to find the answer to the question. And the question being asked that sets the stage for the wisdom that we read of in this psalm, the question that's being proposed is in verses, I would say, verses 5 and 6. I want to read from a different translation. This is the ESV. It says, Why should I fear in times of trouble? when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me. Again, why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surround me, those who trust in their wealth and boast in the abundance of their riches? Why should I fear? And and I think that a lot of the fear that we face today, when we look at the root of it, this is the same question that we're asking ourselves or, or, or that we're faced with. You know, when the sin or inequity of those who want to cheat us are surrounding us, those who trust in their wealth, those who boast in the abundance of the riches. And I would say basically what that's saying is, is anyone, anyone who has not put their trust in God. That's, that's what it's saying. Because if you're not trusting in God, you're trusting in in some form or some fashion the temporal things of this life that you can store up or accumulate for yourself. That's going to give you a sense of security. Those people is who this psalm is referring to in this sense. And with this question, the psalmist is making, first of all, a contrast. I think we see that clearly. He's making a contrast between himself and those who he goes on to mention in the verses that follow as he begins to speak about them and describe them. And in doing so, he points out how he contrasts these who have surrounded him, right? He, and, and, and he says, I have no reason. He has no reason to fear in the day of trouble. And even though this question the psalmist asks is nonspecific, it is. It's nonspecific, in regards to the origin of the trouble, we don't know what kind of trouble he's talking about. We don't know what kind of wickedness is specifically at his heels. That's a non-specific thing. We can discern from the rest of this psalm that the evil and the wicked things he's referring to is coming from the hands of those who have put their, their trust in wealth and boast and riches. Now, in response to this question, if you're taking notes this morning, we kind of follow the pathway that's being set for us. In response to the, the question, we're going to see that there are three answers that are given to this question, okay? They're basic, they're simple, but there's wisdom here. There's knowledge being conveyed in these answers. Three answers um, to this question that are given in the, in the rest of the verses. And, and these answers, listen, these guys, the, the, the answers are to act as reminders, I think, for us this morning. Reminders. Um, and um, this is what we're being asked to meditate on. In order, to, in order to gain the understanding, in order to um, glean the wisdom that's being conveyed. So here's the answers. I'll, I'll lay them out first, and then we'll, we'll go through them and follow them as a, as a, as a, as a guide for the rest of the, the psalm. And so the first answer to that question is, is this, is prosperity can't prevent death. And we're like, yeah, no duh, we know that. But I think, again, in subtle ways, we, we live as if that's not true prosperity prosperity cannot prevent death. The second answer is this is that prosperity cannot determine your destiny. Prosperity cannot determine your determine your destiny meaning God's plan God's will for your life and lastly this the answer to the to the question is kind of made of more of a statement and we'll look at it a little bit further but We're told (coughs) to not be envious, to not be desirous of of others' prosperity. That's the the, the last response to these questions that are being asked. to To not be envious, to not be desirous of others' prosperity. And as we move on, we need to see that these three things are given so that we might keep our perspective our godly perspective our perspective as followers of Jesus Christ we must they're given so that we might keep our perspective in a world that is still obsessed to this day with wealth and the power that it brings furthermore we're being called to be mindful of the fact that all material wealth has limits right again i don't think that these are anything these aren't really new or profound in the sense that we've heard these you know, for the first time today, but to consider them as reminders as we live our lives for Jesus Christ—that's where I think that they're profound. So, with that being said, I want to point out that as a general rule, there are four kinds of riches, as as I can discern them. Four kinds of riches—I um, think even that the Bible talks about in a general way. Um, as we begin to look at wealth and prosperity and riches and these kinds of things, there, there first of all, uh, uh, not that this is in any particular order, but there are riches in what you have, right? Riches in what you have. There are riches in what you do. Riches in what you do. There, are, there is, is, in regards to wealth or riches or prosperity, you can have riches in what you know. Riches in what you know. And lastly, I would say that the fourth kind or types of riches that there are is, is there's, there's riches in what you are, meaning your character. You can be rich in character. And it's clear that in this psalm, the psalmist is speaking, I guess more specifically, um, to those who are only rich in that first way that I mentioned, rich Riches in, in what they have. And it probably goes without saying, but I would think that in, in regards to some kind of categorical listing of them, that this, I think we would all agree that this is the least important kind of wealth to have when we look at the other three side by side. Riches in what you know, riches in, in, in character, and in, 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 in riches, of course, in what you do. And in light of this, I think this psalm is challenging us this morning to really ask ourselves some important questions. How should we as believers in Christ respond when we see the rich get richer? Isn't that what we always hear anymore? The rich keep getting richer. How should we respond to that? Should we be afraid of the wealthy that they will be, abuse their, their, their power or their wealth to take advantage of those who are not as wealthy or as rich as them, those who we might deem as poor. And I, I use these words loosely today because I think we live in a society where we have a real um, uh, warped view of what, what, is rich, what it means to be rich and what it means to be poor, You know, comparatively speaking. Nevertheless, I think the third question that we should be asking ourselves is in, in light of what I read here in the psalm is this, should we be impressed by the wealth that others possess? Because with a certain amount of uh, it, it being impressed with that, then, there, then there's this desire to imitate the, that which we're impressed with. And so I think there's, we should be very, very careful and ask ourselves that question. Should we be impressed by the wealth that others possess? possess or the possessions that others have and seek to imitate them right and so as we look at that as a foundation for these first four verses for sure we move back to the question in verse 5 i want to read on now down to verse 12 and, and again, I want to keep you, keep in, point out that as we, we, we go through this, there's this thread that connects. In verse 12, when we follow this as a roadmap, map, it's going to lead us to verse 20. So consider this section in light of the end here, the concluding thought. But in verse 5, again, the question, why should I fear in the days of evil when the iniquity at my heels surround me? Those who trust in their wealth and boast in, their, in the multitude of their riches. He, and he goes on to to expound on that or to kind of maybe even uh, explain that. Um, it's almost a rhetorical question in light of him answering it, but it says, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their souls is costly and it shall cease forever. And so I think ultimately what's being done here, and I'll continue to read in a minute, is is, is, is there's this this question that that is rooted in some temporal concerns but the the answer is immediately looked at with the perspective of the eternal right and, and, and that's how we need to be living our lives as christian and that view of, of that into eternity that perspective in eternity, into eternity and what that means for us is what helps us to rationally see these temporal questions these earthly uh, uh, questions that that affect us every day and so it goes on in verse 8, and again it says, For the redemption of their souls is costly, and it shall cease forever. Then that should be that he excuse me, should continually live eternally and not see the pit. For he sees wise men die. Likewise, the fool, and Solomon speaks about that also in the book of Ecclesiastes, you know, death comes to all, right? None can escape it, no matter, no matter if you're wise or you're a fool, it's, 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 it's appointed for men. And then the, the senseless person perishes, and, and, and here's the thing, they leave their wealth to others, and usually it's another who doesn't appreciate what you've done to get that, Right? And, 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 and Solomon speaks even the folly of that, this accumulation uh, of temporal, of earthly things. And it goes on to say, and their inner thought is that their houses, they do this because there's some kind of thought process that their houses will last forever, that their dwelling places to all generations, that they call their lands even after their own names. Nevertheless, man, though in honor, does not remain. He is like the beast that perishes. And so clearly, the overall answers to this question that is asked in verses 5 and 6 is one that reminds us, I think at the core, it reminds us that as a child of God, it reminds us that as children of God, um, we really have no reason to fear. What reason do we have to fear, right? What reason? Those who have the means or the power to do us harm in this life. You know, what reason do we have to fear if we're a child of God? What power do they really have over us? And of course, the, the answer, the, the simple answer is, 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 is none. And the first part of this answer given in this verse is designed to redirect our perspective from the temporal or the earthly perspective to the eternal, or I would even say the heavenly perspective. And if we go through this life only seeing Things with uh, from a temporal point of view, we will fear, we will, and we if, if all there is is this life, then there are good reason to fear, good reasons to fear when these things happen and and, 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 and the reason why is because it will always seem to us if we just look from the, look at this thing or look at what's going on around us, with this temporal perspective, with this earthly perspective, it will seem to us as if evil people are getting away with the evil things that they do, right? I mean, if you look around, there's not true justice in this world that we live in. Or we will, we will see that those who, who trust and boast in their wealth, if we have just this temporal perspective, we'll see that those who trust or boast in their wealth um, will be able to buy their way out of whatever consequence that they may deserve for doing wrong, right? We see that too. However, when we look at things from the eternal perspective, when we look at things with this heavenly lens, we're confronted with the truths that are written in these verses which remind us um, that all men, right, that all men, whether they are rich or whether they are poor, all men alike, those who are important, those who are nobodies, all. People like will be made to stand before God. Again, this is a basic truth that we have put our faith in, but it's a reminder that gives us wisdom when we rightly apply it to our everyday lives in regards to our perspective on our possessions, on what it really means to be rich in this life, and what it means to be poor. That all men will stand before God and then they will be held accountable for what they've done in this life. And even if the person who trusted in their wealth and even if that person who had boasted in their prosperity, the psalmist says, even if they were able to take it all with them when they died, their wealth, as it says in verse 7, could not, it says, pay the ransom owed to God for the redemption of their souls. We know this to be true. And I'm sure we've all heard that famous words. It's Benjamin Franklin who said it. He said, there are two things in life that are certain for all people. What are they? Death and taxes. Now, I, don't even, I don't think that statement was ever true, even back in Benjamin Franklin's day. Because the, the truth is, is so many people have seemed to figure out ways to not pay taxes. And I think in our mind, we usually go, yeah, the rich. But it's not only the rich anymore. You know, it's, it's, it's not. But... But I point that out because clearly what we see here is, is, that, is that in regards to death, you know this, this truth that we know, that, that even, even an unbelieving world in their heart of hearts knows, right? Because the eternity is written in the hearts of all men. Everybody knows that some sense this life is coming to an end. Now what they believe is going to happen after that is completely different, and that's part of what we're looking at here. But clearly what we see is, is, is wealth... Cannot prevent death, and even though there are a few people who really believe they can escape death, and there are some who who really believe that they can accumulate enough to 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 um, prevent death there's, there's the people that have been frozen right there 's a guy in Boulder outside of boulder. you can read about it, and i 'm sure there's others that. I think it's what, called cryofreezing or something like that? That they're going to, they froze, he's had himself frozen, and he stays in this state of cryofrozenness. I know it's not the right terminology, but um, that someday when medical technology advances, he will be unthawed and brought back to life. You know, it's just not one guy. I mean, there are other things out there. You know, people who are, you know... Anyway, you guys can look at that on your, on your own. You know, we think oh, that's such a foolish thing to think that people who are rich can really escape death. But there's an aspect to that that's practically played out in the world today. But even though there are a few people who really believe this, the fact is this think about this a little bit differently. The fact is, is that a person's wealth can give a false sense of security, right? A person's wealth, even our wealth, can give us. A false sense of security for both the temporal and the eternal things of life. And the false sense of security can cause a person to put their trust in something that will let them down. That's the thing about it. And in light of this, I want to say that it's not a sin to be wealthy. But we must, with whatever we've been given, right, acknowledge God as the giver. That's where the fault comes in. Acknowledge God as the giver, and then in turn put our trust in Him. And in doing so, in doing so, we then use what He gives us to help others and glorify His name. Even in this psalm here, we see or are directed to the fact that stewardship is what it is about for a child of God. We have to first understand this premise that what we have is truly not ours. We're stewards. It's a gift from God, and he's entrusted it to us to use it in a way that he sees or shows us or has told us to do so. And yet, when we get our eyes off of that, everything gets, gets really um, whacked. It goes wrong. Furthermore, there's, there's nothing wrong, I will say, with having things that money can buy. So there's nothing wrong with having wealth, as long as we realize and remember who it's from that God's a giver, and there's, a, there's an intent or a purpose with why which God has given it. But also, there's nothing wrong with having things that money can buy. God says you, you have not because you ask not. And there's a whole other verse and thought that goes along with that. You can go and read it too to set the perspective, which ties together with what we're reading here. But there's nothing wrong with having things that money can buy as long as you've, you've heard this, as long as your possessions don't what? Don't possess you. You know, it's very cliche, but it's true. And as long as we don't lose touch through the process with the things that money can't buy. And this is what the Apostle Paul was pointing out when he wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, and he simply said this. He said, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And it is. It reveals a heart that's in love with things that God says we as His children shouldn't be in love with. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So when we look at these words about those who have wealth, we need to understand that the implications being made against them is in the context of those who trust in wealth, right? To make it clear. Those who boast of their wealth are those who have this false sense of security because of their wealth, and I think we even as believers today can take our wealth, our possessions, and look at the world around us and go, okay, I'm going to be all right for at least this long. Supply chain problems, I'm okay. You know, and, and really we're, we're, we, can, we can subtly fall into the same kind of thinking and go, man, um, if we're not putting our trust in God, then we're no different than what it's really being talking about here in regards to the attitude. And we need to look at these truths right again, meditate on them, understand them, and apply them to every area of our life because that's where wisdom is found. we've got to be very careful that we don't slip into this way of thinking with even these kinds of things that what are we putting our trust in? and therefore those who do this right they put their 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 <laughs> Here's here's the thing. When you boast in your wealth, when you have a false sense of security because of your wealth, what happens is you begin to live in foolish ways. Right? You begin to do senseless things without any thought given to the eternal. And as a result, when death comes, they who live like that, verse 13 says, they're like the beast that perishes. That's a sad thought. Uh, In other words, because they give no thought or preparation for the eternal, they have no future. And and, and that's a sad thing, but even in this life, they have no true prospect of a meaningful life. There's no true prospect of life or or life abundantly, a meaningful life here, or a, a future life if you are Trusting in something other than Jesus, other than God, your possessions. So no matter how much they, they these, these, these people or those who think and live like this, the, the, like the beast that perishes, right? So no matter how much they may have been honored, is what the psalmist says, no matter how much they may have been esteemed in this life while they were alive, no matter how many pleasures of this life that they have enjoyed it will all be gone and will have meant nothing once they're dead that's the implication of the thought behind a beast that perished being like that and the same thought is conveyed by jesus right many times in the gospel messages one such place is in luke chapter 12 where jesus spoke a simple parable about a farmer who was only concerned for the temporal things of this life right. He was boasting in his wealth and the abundance and the accumulation of what he had and in the security really or the false sense of security that he took from it. And because he took his prosperity, the riches of what he had and it says only sought to build bigger storehouses for his abundance, right? And in fact, verse 19, we're told that this man had said to himself, you have plenty of, of good things laid up for many years. No supply chain problem will affect you. (laughs) You will have your turkey (laughs) and eat it too. No, He says, you will have plenty of good things laid up for many years. He says this, take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But what does the Scripture say? What did Jesus say? Jesus went on to say that And it goes on to tell us that because this guy had not been rich towards God, that's the key, God demanded his life on that very night. And so it is for those who store up treasures for themselves in this life and and, and are not rich towards God. And in regards to being rich towards God, there is, is firstly this understanding that that here's here's how you be you, foundationally being rich towards God comes with this understanding that we can't take our material wealth with us to the world beyond. Right? Again, a simple, basic truth. But how does that apply into our everyday living? <clears throat> we have to have that foundationally in our minds if we're going to be rich to God, because there is also the understanding that 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 scripturally that that even though um, we can't take it w- with us, we can send it ahead. Scripture tells us and teaches us. We can send it ahead as we make provisions in this life for the eternal things of God. In fact, Jesus spoke of using our, our present material resources, again, in regards to stewardship, that issue of stewardship, that, that, that Jesus spoke of using what God has given us to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. That is in Mark chapter 10, verse 21. And when Jesus said this, he was speaking to this rich young ruler, right? I would, say, I would say even something that we identify from him is that he was self-righteous. And, and what Jesus said to him, he said, sell what you have and go and give it to the poor, and then he would have treasures in heaven. Furthermore, Jesus also spoke of the same kind of thought in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, when he said this. He said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So our material wealth can do us no good in the in, in, in the world to come, but but um, So our material wealth can, excuse me, can do us good in, in the world to, that's to come, in the eternal life that's to come. But, but that happens through kingdom-minded living today, kingdom-minded generosity today, as we invest in what God has graciously entrusted to us, investing into the lives of those around us. And that looks that looks different, and it can be done in many different ways. The, the message isn't to give you the, the details on how to do that; it's to be mindful of that, and God will lead you right. And so, as we read on in verse thirteen, it says, "It says that this is the way of those who are foolish, and their prosperity or poster and and of their posterity, who above approve their their sayings, and like sheep they." are laid in the grave. Death shall feed on them, and the upright shall have dominion over them in the morning, and their beauty shall be consumed in the grave far from their dwelling. But God will redeem my soul. Again, the contrast here that the psalmist is making. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Selah. So, so no one escapes death. You know, I've been to like three funerals. I've officiated two in the last four weeks. And, and, and then on the 13th, I have another one. And um, so nobody else can die, okay? But, but one thing that is brought forth in all these, these funerals, the ones that I've gone to and the one that I've been led and asked to do, is this simple truth that no one escapes death. You know, in, in Solomon, he writes, he, he says, it's better to go into the house of mourning than it is into the house of rejoicing. You know, you were there at the funeral, Tori and others, but that was one of the, mess, one of the thoughts that was brought forth from the, the, the pastor at the church that did this last funeral that I went at. And, and, and I thought about that, and I've heard that before, but the thing that that, that reminds us of is, is we often don't think about our own mortality, Right? We don't, yet we know that our days are numbered. We know in our heart of hearts that this life is temporary. We talk about it as believers, and we talk about our assurance and our hope in life to come through our faith in Jesus Christ, but lots of times we live like we're going to live forever here without considering our own mortality, and that's not a negative thing. I think that's even a positive thing in the sense that it, it helps us to cherish even the time that we have together right now because we may not be here next Sunday for that. To invest in people's lives, really looking then what am I looking to be wealthy in? Right? And so no one escapes death. And this next truth found in these verses that I just read for us to meditate meditate on is the fact that wealth does not determine our destiny. And even though this may seem like a no-brainer, we need to we need to consider and keep in mind, again, remember the Jewish mindset here that's that's really the foundation for this in regards to prosperity and in regards to the relationship of God's blessing and God's favor. But we also need to, need to take an honest look at the fact that there are many people today Who and perhaps even us who 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 somehow perceive themselves to be a good person, quote unquote, or perceived to others by others to be a quote unquote good person simply because they have lots of things or because they do lots of good things, right? With what they have. But even though um, being a good person and doing a good person with what we have is noble. What we see is it can't earn God's favor and it doesn't certainly earn anyone a ticket to heaven. And this kind of thinking reveals a confidence in self and an attitude of self righteousness. And ultimately, what both of those things point us to is this dependency. Or this dependence on the temporal things of this life for some kind of eternal security, and the Bible clearly declares these things to be foolish. I love what the Apostle Paul writes in regards to his own self as an example in Philippians chapter three. He addresses this. I'm going to read eleven verses. You can turn there if you want. Philippians three verses one through eleven. But he addresses this kind of thought process, looking at himself, and he says, "He says, brothers, finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord." He says, it's not a trouble for me to write to you the same thing again as it is a safeguard for you. He says, watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those, who, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are of the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Jesus Christ and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself has reasons for confidence. So, so Paul's talking about, about you know, Things that people can perceive one another um, outwardly, whether by the works that they do, the religious things, or again uh, having done good works that they somehow can revel or glory in those. He says, "He says we don't do that. He says we glory in Jesus Christ. Those who are of the circumcision, and of course he's writing to to Gentiles, but um, he, he's." He's, that's a different thing. He says, but let me just read on. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in their flesh, in what they do or who they are or what they have, right? The, 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 the field is enormous when it comes to that idea of having confidence in the flesh. Paul says, if anyone thinks they have confidence, Paul says, he says, I have more. I have more. He says, I got more than you. And I, yet I don't do that, what Paul says. And he goes on to give a little bit of a, a testimony of why he would have more. He says, man, I've been circumcised on the eighth day. Just like the law says, basically what Paul's saying. I'm of the people of Israel. He says, I'm Hebrew. One of God's chosen people. He says, matter of fact, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law, he says, man, I'm a Pharisee. He says, I have laws for the laws, and I don't break any of those laws. As for zeal, he said, "Man, I even went and persecuted the church." As for legalistic righteousness, faultless—that's a pretty bold claim. But whatever to my profit I now consider, for the consider loss or literally rubbish for the sake of of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. All of that. All my good works. All my self-righteousness. It's nothing. It's nothing, Paul says. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ Jesus. That people see me as good, if you will, because they first see that Jesus is good. My righteousness is him. That righteousness, he says, that comes from God and is by faith, not by works. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and so somehow to obtain to the resurrection of the dead. And even though, guys, we're called to honor God, right? As stewards, we're called to honor God by doing good with what we've been given no matter how much the Bible says or no matter how little we have from our, our perspective, right? The fact is is that our good works or as verse 13 here points out in the psalm or, or, or what people say or approve of us has no power to save the soul from the grave. We're not going to stand before God on judgment day and, and gather our friends around us and go, yeah, God, you should let him in. Uh, he's a pretty good guy. I saw him do these things. You know, that's, God's not going to listen to anyone here or outside of here. The testimony of, of others. The approval of man. Why? Because God alone can and will redeem the soul of any person. And on the day of judgment, and, and on that day of judgment, when we stand before him, the only boasting that will matter, the Bible says, as Paul boasts here, Right, The only boasting that will matter is um, boasting those who will boast in knowing Jesus. I know Jesus. I know His crucifixion. I know His resurrection. And I, I identify with Him. We boast in Jesus. And, 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 and the only thing that will matter is for those who have put their confidence in what Jesus has done, not in what we have done or what we haven't done. And 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 we will only boast in what Jesus has to say for us. We're gonna stand there and I'll be like, Jesus, where are you? Come on. And Jesus is gonna stand up and he's gonna intercede for us. And he's gonna say, Covered by the blood, paid for, come on in. And so in verse 16, it says, Do not be afraid. When one becomes rich, do not be envious, when one becomes rich, when the glory of his house is increased, for when he dies, he shall carry nothing away, his glory shall not descend after him. Though while he lives, he blesses himself, for men will praise you when you do well for yourself." He shall go to the generation of his fathers, and they shall never see light. A man who is honor and yet does not understand. Guys, may this, may this not be us. May we, may we glean this type of understanding. May we receive wisdom today. Take this knowledge and rightly apply it. Because if not, the man who is honor and yet does not understand is like the beast That perishes. Now, the last reminder, if the worship team wants to come up, we'll conclude. The concluding thought to these truths is is that is that when we see others become rich, right? The simple message is 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 um and let me say that. (laughs) Again, we have this perverted perspective on, on rich and poor and the world that we live in. But what I think what it here's here's what we're shown. When someone becomes rich, which I think really means Um, when we see someone have more than us, right? It says we shouldn't be envious of what they have when we see someone become rich. And practically, this means when someone gets, I think for us, something new, or more specifically, um, something that we have been wanting, when someone gets something new, something that we've been wanting, I see a couple new cars in the parking lot this morning, the temporary tags, We should not for the sake of simply um, of, of having it also seek to obtain the thing, right? And I think we would all confess that we've often went and bought something new not because we need it or, 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 but only because we want it. And when, when someone else experiences the increase it seems to um, rationalize in our minds that we seem to come to this rational conclusion that oh, it's okay for me to have that too. But the fact of the matter is, is this may not be what God wants for us. And what happens in that situation is the thing that might be a blessing to someone else ends up being nothing more than a curse to us. In fact, in our envy, we may, we may very well have wasted, here's the other thing, we may very well have wasted what, something that could have been used on an eternal blessing for a temporal thing that is only going to burn away. Think about it like that. Remember, we take nothing with us when we die. Yet, if we've been faithful stewards of, stewards of what God has given us, remember in Matthew chapter 16, it promises, it proclaims that we will possess then eternal riches that will never fade away. In other words, we can't take wealth with us, but we can send it ahead. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these reminders, these truths. I pray, God, that it would find a place of, of true wisdom in our lives. Lord, help us take an honest assessment of the way that we live, how we spend what you've given to us, not just the the wealth of our possessions, but the wealth of our time, the wealth of our knowledge, even the wealth of our character, God. may May we put all of these things into a right perspective this morning and spend them in a way, God, that is glorifying to you. In Jesus' name we pray.